Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What Do I Know? So before I get started on what I wanted to talk about, I just want to let you guys know, I don't know if you're listening to this through SoundCloud, but I found this app. Well, I didn't find it. My boyfriend told me about it. Um, He told me about this app called Anchor. And so I was able to upload my podcast on there. And from there on, they were able to upload it on various platforms like Spotify, Hello, and (laughs) Breaker.audio and Stitcher.fm. Oh no, that's Stitcher.com. Ignore me. And it's also on Google Podcasts, which is very exciting. So now you can listen to it wherever you want to. And I know a lot of people are on Spotify, so this is very exciting that now you can access my podcast through there. And so, yeah, you just have to look up um, What Do I Know with Joe and you should be able to see my podcast episodes from there. And so I will still be uploading this podcast on SoundCloud, but I will also be uploading it on Anchor, which will then go onto the platforms that I had just mentioned, which is, like I said, very exciting. So another thing I didn't really know about this, or maybe I did, I just forgot about it, but this month is Filipino American Heritage Month, and so I thought I would do a little something something for this. I am going to be talking about my experience as a Filipino American and what being Filipino American means to me throughout the month, and just a reminder that this is strictly my experience and my story. Um, I don't expect everybody to relate to me because I am not you and you are not me. And obviously, we have gone through different things. And so this is just me sharing what, how life has been for me as a Filipino American. And if you can relate, amazing. Talk to me about it. And if not, then share your story with me as well. I am totally open to hearing all of your stories. So to begin, um, the first thing that I want to talk about was, obviously, I wasn't born in America. I was born in the Philippines. I moved here when I was 12. And so that was a big change, very big change. And, you know, throughout my college career in psychology, we've obviously learned about this term called acculturation, which is basically in simple terms. It's when you find yourself in a new place with very different culture from what you grew up in or what you've been around for the longest time. And I feel like I reached a sweet spot because there's four different types of acculturation. And I would like to believe that I've reached a sweet spot, which is integration. And that means, you know, I was able to adapt to this new culture that I found myself in while still staying true and, you know, staying connected to my original culture. And I like to think that I was able to do that successfully, maybe, maybe not successfully, But I was able to do that on some level. And obviously that did not happen instantly. I had some struggles when I first got here. I I think the first time that I went to school here, I was in seventh grade. And I knew no English. Well, very little English. I spoke very little English. And so during that first year of schooling, I barely spoke to anybody just because I was afraid that I was going to get made fun of. You know, I had an accent and I didn't know how to speak in English. So... I just didn't feel like I had enough strength and confidence to do that, you know. So I had, I didn't have friends. I had my siblings. We all went to the same school at that point. So I would like hang out with them in the mornings and um, 
kind of eat by myself in the playground during lunch. Sounds sad. It's like a movie. But that's what I did. And, you know, it took a while. I started seeing, you know, how kids worked. And like I said, it was just a very, very intense culture shock because culture shock. Okay. Culture shock because, you know, I, it was just a different, everything was just different. You know, the kids were different. They acted differently. And I think one of the big things that I was really thrown off by was the fact that we didn't need uniforms for school because I spent all my life looking similar to all the kids in my school because we were all wearing uniforms and suddenly I was able to wear whatever I wanted. And obviously that's a good thing. That's exciting that I was able to, you know, make a fashion statement, make my own statement of who I was through my clothing. Exciting. But it was so different for me. You know, my aunts gave us like old clothes to wear and I was like, where's the uniform? And there was none. So that was a big thing. And the community as well. You know, we grew up knowing the peop- the kids on our street. Um, our family, one of our family, um, I guess my cousins and one of my aunts, you know, lived close by. And so we knew them and we just knew, my parents knew everybody in the community because they've been living there for so long. And so we got here and we didn't know our neighbors. We didn't play with the kids outside in the afternoon or during the weekends you know we stayed inside we played with our own cousins and we played with our own toys and it was very different there was no or very little sense of community when we got here and so that was already different but you know I managed to adapt and I think my siblings did too you know we managed to adapt to the way of life here but still staying connected to what it meant to be Filipino. You know, this is very, very basic stuff, but no shoes inside the house. You know, we speak Tagalog at home and that, you know, kind of got harder as we stayed in school more because we would just speak English all day long and then we would come home and our grandparents would yell at us to speak in Tagalog inside the house, no English. And, you know, we ate Filipino food all the time that's the only thing I know how to cook which is a struggle now because I'm not able able to like be flexible with what I eat I have to like cook Filipino food because that's the only thing I know how to cook and you know respect to the elderly we do that little bless thing um I can't show you I just did it right now even though you can't see me and you know using respectful language and still you know having Family dinners every night, the whole family sitting at the dinner table. That's still, we still do that. And I know a lot of people do, obviously, but that's definitely something that we've always done. And my parents never want to stray from that. We can, if we don't want to eat at the dinner table, we can all eat together in front of the TV as long as we're eating together. And so, you know, we've managed to adapt to the, um, this new way of life, the American culture, but still make sure that we celebrate what it meant being Filipino. But recently, we went back to the Philippines, and it was the first time we've gone home. I think I talked about this in my initial episode. And, you know, it's been eight, nine years since we went back to the Philippines, and this June was the first time ever. And it was an amazing experience. Like I said, I was so happy to be home. It was wonderful. I had so much fun. But I felt out of place. I didn't feel like I belonged there. I definitely stood out. I 
was speaking English most of the time because that's what I was used to. And obviously I can still speak Tagalog, but it's definitely much harder to stay speaking Tagalog now. I kind of switch back and forth. And, you know, the way I dressed was different. Here it was typical, was casual, was normal. But when I was dressing the same in the Philippines, I felt like I was kind of showing too much skin. I feel like I was not casual enough, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I just looked different and I acted differently. And people saw that and they made note of that. And so they acted differently towards me. And I think at some point I tried to just speak Tagalog, strictly Tagalog, because obviously that's the language we speak in the Philippines. But someone had made a comment about how I don't sound the same anymore and that I don't speak Tagalog as well anymore and how I had an accent and how I was just an American girl now. And so I just got self-conscious and I stopped. And, you know, I would speak Tagalog like little bits and pieces every now and then but I was never I wasn't confident enough anymore to just go full-on Tagalog and it was kind of sad because I was so excited I was like I'm never gonna when I get home I'm just gonna speak Tagalog and I'm gonna come back to the U.S. and I wouldn't wouldn't be able to stop but that's not what happened and I'm kind of sad that that's the case but it happened and you know I came back here And, you know, I I have a little bit of an accent when I speak English. It's not as noticeable anymore. And it comes every it comes out every now and then. But, you know, the one thing that have been, has been on my mind lately, and I've seen people post about this, so I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way. But there's a part of me that feels like I just don't belong to either group. You know, because I come here and I'm seen as a Filipino girl who wasn't necessarily born here not fully American, an immigrant, you know, has an accent when she talks. And then I come back home to the Philippines and I'm seen as that American girl, not the same values as a Filipino anymore, can't even speak full-on Tagalog. So I'm in the middle of that, you know. Um, and I've seen this. And there's a movie about it. Well, it's not about it necessarily, but we see it in the movie Crazy Rich Agents where... You know, the main, the leading lady is not seen as full-on Chinese because she was, she's raised in America. So she's Chinese-American and, you know, we're, I'm kind of torn in the middle. You know, I'm being told that since I don't have the same values as a Filipino anymore and I don't speak as much Tagalog that I'm less of a Filipino and I don't want to feel that way, you know, because being a Filipino is a huge part of my personality in my life obviously because I was born there and I was raised there and I was raised as a Filipino and to just be told that I don't somehow belong in either group is frustrating and so for everybody who feels this way um, this isn't really the best advice but it definitely has kept me going and you know has reminded me that I'm okay it's that if you know who you are and if you know you're Filipino American you're Chinese American you're Vietnamese American you're Asian American as long as you know where you stand you should be fine it doesn't matter what people say we all have different outlooks of what it means to be Asian American and if you feel like you are reaching your own expectations of what it means to be Asian American 
then you're good. You are doing the best that you can. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter if you're constantly being told that you're not Asian enough, you're not American enough, because if you know that you are, then you are. It doesn't matter. What they say does not matter at all whatsoever. So just stay true to yourself. Celebrate your original culture. Celebrate being Filipino, being Chinese, being Vietnamese, and being just being Asian, but also allow yourself to celebrate that part of yourself that has adapted to the American culture. Because, you know, it's if you just keep tearing yourself apart, then it's just not going to feel good for you. You know, you're going to have a rough time, and I don't want that for anybody because, you know, I was never, um, you know, I kind of experienced that every now and then, the little comments of not being Filipino enough, but I know that I am. I know that I'm Filipino enough. I celebrate my own culture. My, I mean, this obviously doesn't isn't a testament to how Filipino I am, but most of my friends now are Filipinos, and I get to celebrate that part of me with them, and I'm proud of that. You know, I get to celebrate both my part, both parts of myself with those people, and that is good enough for me. So moving on, this next topic, if you don't want to listen to it, you are more than welcome to click out and stop listening because um, I will be talking about sexual harassment and sexual assault. I will not be going into very specific details of you know specific events that have happened. I will just be talking about it generally and what I've been seeing and hearing on social media and in person for the past year, basically. But most specifically, more specifically, recently. And so, like I said, warning, if you don't want to listen, more than welcome to leave. But if you are willing to listen till the very end, thank you. Um, so I've just been seeing a lot about, um, you know, the whole sexual assault and sexual harassment talk. There's a hashtag Me Too movement and the whole Brett Kavanaugh um, accusation lately. And so I just want to talk about that because obviously Dr. Blasey Ford came out with an accusation to Brett Kavanaugh. And it's upsetting seeing people call her a liar just because they don't know what happened. Obviously, we don't know what happened. But, you know, you don't have to buy her story. Just don't call her a liar because that's her own experience. And, you know, it's so upsetting that people are saying that she only came out now because, oh, Brett Kavanaugh is doing so well with his life, quote, unquote. If you really think that's why she came out with this so-called not true accusation, then please... Please think about what you're saying and think about the thoughts that are you going through your mind right now. Because that is so wrong. That is so not fair. And how do you know that she never came out when it first happened, but she was shot down and was told that, oh, get over it. Or, oh, it was just him, you know, being a boy, testosterones were high. How do you know that's not what happened? And, you know, questioning why she only came out now if she never came out initially why does it matter? Why does it matter if she didn't come out before? Why, why does it matter if she was only coming out now? It is her experience. It is her life. It is her body. She has the right to choose when she wants to come out with it or how she wants to come out with it. And, you know, 
there's so many things that go into reporting this kind of situations. You know, I've never been personally sexually assaulted. I have been sexually harassed in parties, clubs, multiple times. And I know people who have experienced sexual assault. And I can't even imagine all the thoughts that come with that. You know, they could feel shame and fear and worry that they're going to be judged by everybody. And not only that, even if they don't feel that all of that shame, that worry, having to go through that experience once again and saying it out loud could be just as traumatic, could just be as crappy as when it first happened. You know, I always say that, you know, this is going to be a moment that is going to stick with them for a really, really long time. And so it's up to them when they want to say it out loud. It's up to them when they want to report it. And another thing that makes me so mad is the fact that this whole thing is being turned into a political issue of how, oh, it's just the Democrats trying to push the Republicans out, trying to make the Republicans look bad. Oh, Democrats this, Republicans that. Why does it have to be all about Democrats versus Republicans? Why, why do we turn it into that kind of issue when it's not? It's about a man who has sexually assaulted a woman, yes, a long time ago, but he still did it. It doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> it's not a political issue at all. And just because it doesn't directly affect you, it's not fair to the people who have experienced sexual assault for you to belittle their experience just because you yourself have never experienced it directly. That is not fair to the people who have experienced it. It's just not you know, just because you don't know somebody who has been sexually assaulted or you've never experienced it yourself doesn't mean this issue is not serious. It is not your right to determine the severity of the issue, especially if you have not experienced it yourself. Because you don't know how traumatic that experience is for them. You don't know how it feels to be, to be, oh, I don't even know what word to use, to be violated like that. You know, to have your body and your rights taken from you make you feel like your body isn't yours. So how can you, of all people, have the nastiest comments about it if you have never experienced it yourself? And I just wish people would be more empathetic towards these women who have experienced it, men and women that have experienced this, because you will never know. You could be saying these comments out loud, talking about how, oh, like, it's just boys being boys, testosterone's were high. You could be saying that in front of somebody who has experienced sexual assault and you don't know, who has been sexually harassed and you don't know. So, you know, be more empathetic and listen. Listen to what has happened to them and do something about it. Don't just sit there and judge why they're reporting now ask questions why it happened ask them what they were wearing ask them if they were drunk ask them if they said no just listen to them and give them the respect that they deserve at this time you know it can't be the easiest thing to do I know people who have experienced sexual assault and hasn't reported it's because they don't want to have to relive that experience again 
and you know they don't want to have to go through that again I don't want to have to say it out loud because it was just such a crappy moment in their lives and you know you gotta you gotta understand that you gotta be more empathetic and not just be pointing fingers at at them especially point fingers at the person who did it stop questioning whether or not it's true and just listen you know it doesn't matter if they're only coming out now i just i cannot even understand and the fact that people are posting that oh if we subject every politician to the same investigations that kavanaugh is going through we won't have any politicians isn't that the issue isn't that the issue that you somehow believe that every single politician has done this before that we're normalizing this kind of behavior and there was a focus group video as well where one woman talks about how oh he was a 17 year old testosterones were high give me tell me one 17 year old boy who's never done this i can name at least five ten boys who have never held down the women and covered their mouths when they were 17 year old so why are we doing that why are we normalizing this kind of disgusting behavior why and so you know i'm just gonna leave you with this one thought you know that that one moment those couple of minutes that he or she might not remember is seared into their brain forever you know they're never gonna stop talking about it it's gonna be in the back of their mind all the time so that's just something that i want you to think about if you are so adamant on questioning and you know saying that what happened dr blasey ford is not real so thank you so much for listening to this podcast i know it's very dark and deep podcast i will try to be more lighthearted next week or in two weeks but yeah if you are listening to this on the new platforms that it's on spotify google podcast thanks so much And if you're still listening on Spotify, no, not Spotify, SoundCloud, obviously that's great. But if you want to move over, feel free to. And other than that, thank you all so much for listening and I will talk to you all in two weeks.